I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Sure. I go. That's some bad hat, Andrew. It's a good cool Not a doctor. Bye. Have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Sex Education Season 1 and to help us do that, we are joined this week by a very special guest. Please welcome to the show, singer-songwriter and co-host of the Two Gay Mats YouTube channel and Two Gay Mats podcast, Matt Palmer. Hello, Matt. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, before we get into uh, the the review of Sex Education, tell mm-hmm. our listeners a little bit about what you do. Um, you're obviously a musician as well as hosting a YouTube channel and a podcast. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so um, my name is Matt Palmer and I am an R&B pop singer songwriter. I actually just put out an EP called The Good Parts. This is a seven track EP. It's available wherever people stream or steal music these days. It's all there. <laughs> um, and uh, I also, yes, my roommate and I both gay mats and have started a YouTube channel. I think back in 2013 we started and it has become a podcast in the past few years. And so we try to put out a video and a podcast every week. It doesn't always happen. But, you know, it's a good goal. We know that feeling. Right. Uh, I was listening, I think, to your latest podcast. I think you guys are talking about you're just over 100 episodes of the podcast and something like 300 and something different YouTube videos or something you've done, I think is what they were saying. Yeah. That is true. It doesn't feel like that many, but then it is. And so someday I'll go back and look at them again. But now it's like we just do them and put them out and then they're just out in the world and I forget. (laughs) Very very cool. Uh, before, also, I wanted to ask you, we ask all our guests this the first time they're on, what's your like favorite TV shows uh, of all time or shows that you always recommend to people they should watch? Uh, I am a big happy endings person. Uh, that was a show mm-hmm. that was on ABC about six friends in Chicago. It is lovely. I think it was 2011-ish that it started. It's on Netflix now, though, and it's amazing. Casey Wilson, Damon Wayans Jr., a lot of great people. Uh, I grew up watching Friends. Would watch that every night before when falling asleep. And I'm also a big Thirty Rock fan. So mm-hmm. any sort of comedy, I'm, I'm in. Rolling off those two for a second. Did you watch the Friends reunion on HBO Max? I did. Yes. What do you think? Uh, I thought it was nice, and it made it was. <laughs> <laughs> It's very generous. I love Thank that. Thank you. I thought it was nice, and the the sentiment was there. I felt like. Um, I didn't know why James Corden was there, which oh, I feel the question like is we're all asking. I was going to yeah. say everyone's Truly. asking that all the time. <laughs> I feel like that's always my thought when I see him. I mean, <laughs> I, it, I liked the the parts the best when it was just the six of them and like going through the old sets and stuff and telling stories. I guess, but there was also big chunks of like, let's talk about people who've watched Friends around the globe. And I'm like, this is a lot of time that we're talking. <laughs> and like Justin Bieber's coming out in like a costume. I was confused at points, but overall enjoyed it. Would you have been interested, because this was something that happened during 
through the pandemic last year mm-hmm. in particular, lots of shows that were like having these little reunion, mostly done over Zoom and stuff like that. Like there was yeah. a Parks and Rec one that Community did a um, uh, an online sort of script reading of an episode from season four, I think it was season five. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in something like that if they, rather than just sitting down talking about going, oh, I remember when, right. um, to do something that was a bit more in the style of the characters and uh- and the show? I mean, yes, I, I realize this will never happen and they have to get paid like $9 million to even show up <laughs> in the same room together at this point. But if there were, like, we've written one more episode about, like, what's going on with the Friends today, that, I mean, that would be really what I want. Uh, but I, 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 it's hard to dream so big when you know it's never going to happen. <laughs> so I've been thinking about that community movie ever since. And then they tease me with it. They just tease mm. me just to, oh, like, right. swing me along and hurt That me. was the whole thing. They all said they said it was like, going to be a movie and it never... The six seasons of the movie was always the hashtag. Then yes. when they did the the pandemic sort of read through thing, it sort of came up again as like this might happen, oh. and we haven't had a word since. And Dan well, Harmon I mean, signed on to about three different shows since then, so I don't think it's happening. But anyway, oh, I mean, I assume Donald Glover being everywhere probably has something to do with that. He was always the holdout, and then mm. he was one of the most enthusiastic people about it. Oh wow, okay, the bit that really got me excited, and oh well, we'll see, maybe one day. Yeah, anyway, fingers crossed. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of Sex Education Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Sex Education is a British comedy-drama television series created by Laurie Nunn, which centres around Otis Milburn, a 16-year-old boy who struggles with touching himself, even though, or perhaps because, his mother is a sex therapist who is frank about all aspects of sexuality. After inadvertently assisting the school bully with his sexual performance anxiety, Otis begins a sex advice business with Maeve, an intelligent but troubled classmate, to help their fellow students with their sexual problems. Season 1 premiered on Netflix on January 11th, 2019, becoming a critical and commercial success for Netflix with over 40 million viewers streaming the first series after its debut and stars Asa Butterfield, Gillian Anderson, Shuti Gatois, Emma Mackey, Connor Swindles, Amy Lou Wood, Kadar William Sterling and Tanya Reynolds among others. Sex Education Season 1 consists of 8 episodes each coming in around 50 minutes and took us approximately 6 hours and 40 minutes to watch. A second series was released in early 2020 with its third series scheduled for release on the 17th of September 2021. So before we get to our spoiler free reviews, I want to ask you guys if you don't mind me asking what was your high school sex education like? Matt, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> Dive right in, please. Yeah, always. We always throw the guests under the bus. <laughs> well, at, I went to a very Christian school in uh, the South, and so it was very much like, don't have sex, and like here are pictures of genitals that are, have STDs on them, just to right. drive the point home. Mm. Um so it wasn't a lot. Um, and then I think there was also just another traumatic moment from my childhood. Uh, I remember we had an assembly where we split up the guys and the girls and they gave us a whole situation of like, this is senior in, in high school. They gave us a situation when it's like, oh, you're at a party with a girl and she goes up to your room. But then she's like, oh, I don't want to have sex. And uh, if you continue trying and you have sex with her after she said, no, is this rape? And so many people said no to that. And I was like, I've been in classes with you. Like, even as an 18-year-old, I was like, oh, my God. Who are these people? Who are you raising? I So, not to bring the mood down, but it was it was an, a backwards kind of place from time to time. I mean, <laughs> I kind of wish the girls were in that room just to be like, oh, well, now we know who the rapists are. <laughs> exactly, right? Where know. were they? Yeah. That's, I think that's maybe a, a wider problem 
than you would you would hope it is in lots of different mm. places. I've seen statistics and like surveys and stuff like that where they, you know, if they've said yes beforehand but they say no after, are you owed sex, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and the the answers will shock you. Uh, luckily, our government recently fixed that problem by explaining consent in really specific and simple terms. Uh, talking about a milkshake, I'm going to send you a video after oh we're done God. with this, Matt. It's hmm. the most embarrassing PSA you've ever seen in your life. It is only made consent more confusing somehow. Don't ask me. <laughs> what this does a milkshake so- have to do with anything? D- good Great question, question <laughs> Matt. Great question. <laughs> Uh, just confusing kids all around, I think. Yeah, it wasn't a great PSA. Mm. Uh, Damask, what about you? What was your sex education in high school like? Um, well, I assume we probably had very similar experiences, Rod. I remember a lot of um, labelling certain parts of the anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what's, what is it? The vas deferens? I remember that one. Is that the tubey things that come out of a scrotum? Something like that. I remember that <laughs> word because I just thought it sounded cool. Um, I remember learning about periods a little bit um, and just lots of like heterosexual sex. Yeah, Penis goes in here. Sure. Nothing about pleasure or what sex might feel like, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of like penis goes in vagina, wear a condom, which is, you know, not any, untrue. It's just not all dams? of... <laughs> No dental dams, no. I remember dental dams. <laughs> um, no talk of like uh, female contraception. So there's no talk really about the pill or mm. IUDs or uh, yeah, the implant or anything. Nothing like that. It was just like boys put on a condom or girls. You have to make the boy put on a condom. That was that was about it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think South Park was very shockingly my. Biggest sex education. I remember the word dildo being brought up for the first time. I think in the first episode of South Park. Mm. And that was even before I was in high school. I was in primary school. I remember seeing that. Uh, no, I remember <laughs> sex education was like our homeroom teacher who was also, I think, our textiles teacher or something like that. Mm. She was a middle-aged to older lady. And the day that we were doing like the rolling the condom over the banana sort of situation, mm. people were so immature and and having such a laugh that she just went, fine, I'm taking them off you. You don't get this lesson. And so to this day, I still don't know how to roll a condom on. Like, no idea. <laughs> so Just had a lot of missed calls. Good, good, good <laughs> yeah, I think my, like, you were talking about so- like South Park. Um, I think I got most of my sex education actually from reading, like, um, lesbian fan fiction. <laughs> right. Like, skins and um, glee and stuff. Just because I, I don't watch porn. There's nothing wrong with porn. I just, like can't vibe with it um so i would just read fan like erotic fan fiction and it told me how to have sex with a woman it was very it was very educational actually i remember there was a book series uh it's an australian like teen book series matt you wouldn't have heard this one before called tomorrow when the war began and it was always the book that you would hire out from the school library because like the one book that had a sex scene in it and like yeah so it was like that was always hot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like on the list of borrow bo- of uh, books to borrow from the library. Yeah, you yeah you take it out from the library, and that like t- those two pages that describes the sex scene were well worn. Well worn, well worn. <laughs> just it, always folded on the corners, so you could just yes. go straight there. Everyone wanted to know where that scene was. <laughs> anyway, with all that in mind, I know we've already thrown you under the bus here, Matt, but I'm going to do it again. Would you like to give us your spoiler-free review of Sex Education season one? Sure. Um. I- 
I, I, I will admit that I did not write this part down. So if I do spoil something, feel free to cut it all out. Sure. But. Okay. I'll take notes. I'll just yes. start talking over the top of you and then I'll edit it out later. Sounds good. All right. Well, I would say spoiler free review is it is truly excellent. I came to this show a few months after it had been released on Netflix. I was traveling. I went to Dublin and... um England for work and I had no one there that I wanted to hang out with so I just made some new friends on my iPad and via Netflix and so uh I just really enjoyed Otis and Asparagus especially Eric were obviously like as a gay black person who was so you know fully fleshed out and so confident in himself it was just very exciting to see because it's like wow times have really changed from when I was in high school um, I, I am interested in the Maeve Otis Will They Won't They, which I feel like is going to last us through the remainder of the seasons. But I feel like much like Insecure that the main uh, love story in this show is between Otis and Eric. And it's like their friendship story mm-hmm. is the central and the heart of it. And I think that's why I keep coming back to it. And I'm so excited for season three to come out. Um, there, There's... I feel like every episode opens with like a different sexual situation and the 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 clinic that Otis and Maeve have started like goes to, you know, talk to that or speak to that in one way or another. But there's also so many layers and so many B and C plot lines that every character I feel like is fairly serviced throughout. Like at the beginning, who knew that I was going to care about, you know, Jackson and um mm. oh what was what's the character's name who wants to have alien sex? What's Lily. Lily. <laughs> By the end I'm like, I'm obsessed with you. And she pops mm. up almost as like comic relief in episode three or four. And at the end I'm I just am so invested in every storyline, whether or not they're the top build on the show or not. And also not to, you know, doesn't go without saying, but Jillian Anderson. Amazing. Mm. There's amazing work. Definitely and goes with saying Gillian <laughs> Anderson is ridiculous in this show. Oh, she's just, so oof. good. She's just so wonderful. I feel like you get a lot of the, you know, uh, parents and teachers versus the students and how their sex lives are, you know, paralleling a bit and how they interact with each other. I don't know. I just I really loved it. I It is a high school story being told in a way that I feel like it hasn't and that it feels honest and genuine. But and not too saccharine and not too like whitewashed or like things are because clearly the through line of the show is like, oh, is Otis going to masturbate? Which is like, again, why would I care about this? Another but like <laughs> the final scene of the season, I'm like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> you know? So I, 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 I loved it. Damask. All righty. OK, here we go. Um, not all, but certainly a large portion of the population want to have sex. Sex Education, Season 1, spends a lot of its time on the discovery of the sexual self. And that discovery is an awkward one, made worse by a lack of helpful information out there beyond the simple, this goes in that. When you're young, you spend so much time on questions like, what does being good at sex mean? Who do I want to do it with? And what exactly do I want it to look like? Those questions are hard to answer when you're a kid. You know, it's a time when you're beginning to distance yourself from your parents and your peers are just as clueless as you are. I mean, teens now know what porn looks like, but that's the performance of sex as opposed to the very different experience of it. I mean, back in my day, the only access to porn we had was a random plastic bag discovered in an old dying tree by a guy from my high school. That's just that's just grows naturally in every yeah. forest and There's bushland. always a random sure. bag of porn just lying around in every community. That's a government um, service. That's there on purpose. It is. Yeah. 
That's a public health system. Yeah, beautiful. That's amazing. Um, you know, I still remember seeing those kind of water-stained pages of fake titties. You know, it was like finding the lost ark in Indiana Jones. Like it, yeah, it was just so bright and like, what is this? Um, so I cannot imagine the added pressure for teens now, each with the ability to open up an incognito tab. Um, I think shows like Big Mouth and now Sex Education are a welcome addition to the teen sex romp genre. They're raunchy, sure, but so goddamn informative, I feel happier for this generation. I look back at the movies that we had, like American Pie, and I Mm. shudder. Mm -hmm. Um, They have not aged well. So Sex Education, the series, is naturally a very sexual show. And while it embraces the frenetic energy of puberty, I think it maintains its grasp of every character's heart and vulnerability. Um, In the way that who you are as a friend, child or partner is dictated by your experience of the world, so is the way that you are a sexual being. You know, it isn't a separate part of you and every character on this show must come to terms with this in unique ways. Each character is at a different stage of being able to healthily combine the mental, physical and emotional aspects of sex and relationships. And I think the writers have made the journey to better understand each aspect wildly fun. So while there's, yeah, there's a lot of nuance there and beautiful storytelling, it's just a really fun show to watch. Um, This sense of discovery isn't just relegated to the teen characters, We learn as the show progresses that adults are just as fucked up about sex and relationships as the teens. The show also clearly has a great deal of affection for all of its characters and this feeling is transferred to the viewers. You want them to be happy. This show is very funny but you sense the vulnerability in everyone. None of our main characters are ever just a joke. A lot of the sexual escapades could be used as point and laugh humour but the show is so infused with sincerity that you can't help but feel the pain. Sex education avoids the hedonism of shows like Skins and Euphoria, where kids are shown to be people in their 20s, really, who just happen to have curfews. There are still moments that feel soap operatic, um, but for the most part, these more dramatic moments feel emotionally true to how it felt to be young, you know, feeling love or heartbroken for the first time. It uses tropes of a high school show not to remove the reality of what, it's, what it means to be a teen, but instead to infuse it with emotional accuracy. You know, this is a smart show with a lot of silliness. It is something that I imagine teens would love. But I got to say, as an old crone in her 30s, I had so much fun reliving the horror of my youth. Beautiful. Thank you, Damask. Um, I, I think a lot of what I have to say is is probably echoing what you two have said already. Uh, first of all, I agree with you, Matt. Well, just the premise of this show I really love. The idea of a kid, uh, of the kid of a sex therapist, just such a fun idea, just full of potential in terms of comedic, dramatic, and dare I say educational uh, aspects to it. And it filters that concept really well through that episodic structure that you were talking about, how every episode is sort of centered around um, a different sort of case or study, clinical study that they're going to do that episode. Um, I really love that. TV these days seems to be leaning away from episodic TV more and more. We're starting to see it come back a little bit. But when you can sort of go, oh, this is the episode about um, what it's like to know what you want having sex with people or the sort of people that you want to have sex with, whatever it might be. I love that they can sort of have a thematic um 
turning point in each episode like that. And it's it's always welcome when I say it, where you can sort of delineate episodes like that. Um, but the premise is nothing without execution. I agree. It's a very funny show. I was chuckling at least a few times an episode, at one line or an uncomfortable moment or something. It's an exciting, in an awkward, relatable teenage sort of way. It's heightened sometimes, almost cartoonish here and there, but always relatable. It always feels true, as you said, emotionally. And the characters are all very complex and layered. Everyone has some shit going on. And the characters that you might see in other shows or other movies that are archetypes like that, you go, oh, that's the bad guy, oh, that's the bully, oh, that's the guy you're meant to dislike because they're competing for the same person's affection as this person. It's not like that in this show. Everyone's got something that makes them... Uh, likeable or at least something you want to empathize with them. I think that's really, really great and smart writing. It means everyone feels represented who's watching the show as well. And most of all, it's, I think, wonderfully performed. The charming cast of young actors, they're, they're doing great work pretty much from top to bottom. And while we absolutely have our leads, it's the strong ensemble, I think, that gives Moordale a real sense of place and community. It's not just our main three characters. It's everyone around them is doing great work, I think. From a production point of view, it's very sleek, very Netflixy these days, in fact. Uh, it pulls some very surprising and impressive cinematic feats here and there. They're only sprinkled in the last shot of the last episode. I love how that's pulled up, pulled off. And there's a similar one in an earlier episode in the season. I want to talk about that later, just how impressive that is to see in a show. Um, it almost has a modern retro feel to things. Like, Mordale's somehow stuck in some sort of Doctor Who time anomaly, where the fashion, the music, and the technology are from all over the last five decades, all being squished together in one cohesive, pastel-shaded world. It makes it a bit of a fantasy, almost. This place doesn't really exist, but you doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're in your 40s or, or 50s or whether you're a teenager now, you'll feel like this is familiar to you in some way, which maybe makes it timeless, maybe is occasionally a bit distracting, but that depends on your point of view, I think. I have very few criticisms. I think sometimes the show could go a little further, ringing out the drama of a situation or a moment. Uh, the emotion is definitely there, but occasionally I felt like it left something on the table, um, leaving scenes maybe just good instead of great. And sometimes I worry that's a Netflix problem where they're pushing everything through this algorithm of what's going to make this watchable by more people, and they will tend to not go all the way with some dramatic moment or some idea here or there. But generally, this is a very, very brave show. And most importantly... I think most notably about this show, it's just such a valuable show to exist. I know I'm not the first person to say this, but I wish Sex Education was a show that had been on TV when I was a teenager. I genuinely think, and I'm agreeing with you what you were saying about this, Damascus, as well, that teenagers who are able to access this show now will have a better relationship with themselves and their body and their sexuality because of it. Uh, it's also a very diverse show without ever really having to say it. Moordale is full of kids from all different shapes, sizes, colors, and sexualities, and it just is. It doesn't need to justify itself, and I think that's the way it should be, and it's great to see TV that can just be like that. Uh, in many ways, this show is providing a valuable service, seeing a benchmark for what TV can be about and look like, while also being charming, funny, and occasionally heartbreaking, and I really, really enjoyed it. Do you have any thoughts on any of that, Matt? Anything that we've talked about there you want to chime in on or? No, I just, I think I completely agree. Um, I am curious when we get into the spoiler review about the moments that you felt were left on the table. Because sure. I, I, I admittedly, 
few things that a little bit like I either love this or I hate this. And so I'm like blindly loving this show. So I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. open to hearing some criticisms about it. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's they're very minor. I'm literally looking for something to complain about basically. But <laughs> but I, it was more that sometimes I was like, oh, I, I definitely understand this moment and what they're doing. And maybe it's more of an investment thing than anything mm. else. But I'm like, oh, that could have gone a little bit further or I think we could have felt this more. They could have spent a bit more time exploring the emotion of this scene. Sometimes they're choosing deliberately to do things quietly as well, which mm. is valuable in its own way. But also I'm left a bit like, oh, take me there. I want to like feel that more. I want the tears to come. I want, I want to feel a bit more than what the scene's giving me. But that's, again, really just getting nitpicky. Uh, how would you rate or score this season out of five stars, Matt? I mean, f- four and a half. I, you sound like you're holding back. Like you want to give it five. But I'm just you trying to think of like other shows I like. And this, yeah. I've, I think I've now watched this season at least three times. Cause I, wow. I watched it initially when I was traveling. I think I was in LA. I was not home for Christmas because of, you know, COVID. And uh, it was like, I should just watch my friends on TV again. And so then I watched it in preparation for today. So, and every time I've liked it more and more. Cool. I, it's a five. I mean, it's a five. There you go. <laughs> there it I is. I knew it was there. Damask, there what about is. you? Um, I'm going to give it a four. I really, really, really like this show. I think, um, yeah, I have. I do actually have one criticism of it, which we'll talk about um, in the spoiler zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I really enjoy it. enjoyed it. I also think there's heaps of room to grow. I mean, now we know mm-hmm. these characters pretty well. I'm looking forward to exploring that further in later seasons. So I'm really just giving it room to be five later is what I'm doing. Which is something we've done plenty of times. We like see a season of a show, even Ted Lasso, which the more I think about, the more I love that show and I should have given it five stars. But I left it room because I'm like, this is season one. This show can grow into something even better than this. It's just figuring itself out. So I'm going to give it four as well, uh, which... I always say four stars is sort of an excellent. If five stars is masterful, this is excellent. The show is excellent. It's slick in so many ways. I think while I love the stories and I love the characters, emotionally it didn't always get that to that point of moving me like my favorite shows do, making me either feel mm. that excitement or that sadness or that heartache, whatever it is, completely. I do think that's something the show has the potential to do. And I haven't seen season two yet. This is my first time watching season one, I should say, Matt, as well. I haven't, uh, I've seen bits and pieces when I've been in the same room as mm-hmm. other people watching it, but this is my first time watching it fully through. Um, so on a second rewatch or a third rewatch, um, I might even like it more, of course. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give it four out of five. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time again where we beg and plead at your feet for you all to review us on Apple Podcasts. You enjoy our content for free, motherfuckers. It's the least you can do. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and a rant about how much you love us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> and to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends, family, people you pass on the street, that one lady on your street that everyone thinks is a witch, whoever you want, <laughs> if you think they might also enjoy listening. Especially if that person is a sexy witch like Gillian Anderson is. That's right. uh, Next week, we'll be back with an off-topic, hot-topic bonus episode followed the week after by our review uh, of Loki Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion uh, of Loki or sex education, or if you have any questions, topics, or story suggestions for off-topic, hot-topic, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for Sex Education Season 1. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Sex Education. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Sex Education up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. My opening question for our deep dive discussion, did kids at your school have as much sex on campus as the kids in this school? Like, nope, I was the, never invited, Brad, I mean, so I don't that's know. True. <laughs> it's possible that I just was on the outer, but like there's a kid, the kids having sex in a bush at the front of the school in episode one, mm-hmm. Maeve and, and Jackson having sex in the classroom every other episode. Like, where was my invite? I feel like uh, there was always a story of like someone giving someone else head behind like a shed, but I don't even know if that is true. It's just something that was spoken I, about. I mean, it made the front page of the local newspaper in Bendigo at Catholic College. I remember that. That's that was true. a whole scandal. That's right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I felt like it was a lot of rumors. Like there was like, mm. oh, there was rumor that this person whose name I almost said and I will not <laughs> had sex in the ocean. <laughs> I was going to dox them right here. I I was like, yeah, let's tell them. Uh, No, had sex in the ocean with this guy. And it was like, oh my gosh, the ocean. That was like all we could talk about for a week. (laughs) You know that was bad sex if that was true. Exactly. Thinking back, like no one wants that. (laughs) (laughs) Damask, you want... Oh, sorry, go on that. Oh, I was just going to say, if if there was sex happening, I was certainly not invited. I was both gay and very focused on my choral pursuits. And I was like, (laughs) who's going to get the solo? (laughs) You know, I was (laughs) one track mind there. (laughs) I feel like sometimes those like tight knit like art communities within the school, though, there was all sorts of like incest and sex. I remember like for us. Not actual incest, to be clear. No, no, no. Like it was like, (laughs) no, not not real incest. Like everyone was like making out with each other Mm. and dating each other and stuff. That certainly happened with our drama group. Through, yeah, uh, Brod and I were drama nerds, um, yeah. same group, and it was yeah, it was pretty gross. <laughs> it was disgusting. You think back to it, like, oh wow, okay. Uh, Damask, you had a topic to start off with. Oh no, um, I did. <laughs> um, so I love, love, love this show. 
Um, however, there was one thing that happened that I was like, oh, I wish you didn't do this particular trope. It's something I've seen many times before um, and only in my later years discovered kind of how toxic and not great it is. Mm. Um, so it is the homophobic bully is actually secretly gay sure. trope. Mm. Um, now, I think that like I think it's really good to unpack like the trauma of forced heteronormativity. Like, I think that's a really important story to tell. And there are plenty of people who are homophobic who are actually just, you know, closeted gay people. That exists. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It absolutely exists. I do think that story is overused a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and my main criticism of that is that oftentimes it kind of makes homophobia gay on gay violence, um, which it predominantly is not at all. Right. Yeah. Um, and the real, like, the problem of telling a story like that is it's about having a lack of self-love is the issue in terms of, like, homophobic bullying um, as opposed to what it really is, which is a societal issue um, that's made up of, like, microaggressions and overt, overt violence and is absolutely about toxic masculinity But it's a shame now that when I see an overly homophobic character, my first thought is, well, they're going to end up gay. Yeah, I think that's a valid criticism. And I feel like, and it didn't happen on the show, but something that happens in in the U.S. is if there is a very homophobic politician, Mm. there's like always like, oh, I bet you're secretly gay. And it kind of gives people license to just say homophobic things about the homophobe. And it's, it's like a weird... Yes, so I, I think that trope is problematic for those reasons, and um, mm. yeah, and and, I, and you're right. It's like we've seen it, and I don't think it's like pushing the conversation forward at all, and not dealing with the larger problem of homophobia instead of like, oh, he's just gay, and like that's yeah. the issue with every homophobe out there, and it's like, yeah, no. and I I hate the idea of you know there are many closeted people out there who are in these, these secret relationships, and I would hate for this trope that continues to be used to teach young gay people that being in a, um, you know, abusive or violent relationship with someone mm. who is closeted is actually romantic. Mm. Because That's that's the, the thing I would think about is just how that all plays out when they're in the music room during detention. And it is right. so violent before it becomes the they start kissing. And it all starts, they have sex ultimately in that scene, I think. And the... That's a really complicated thing to happen and not explore properly and why that might might happen or set it up properly. Yeah. I think one and of the reasons might as well explore it next season, but just with just evaluating this season alone, yeah. I think is problematic. I think it's a slight problem just with the character of Adam in general. I actually really like the sort of um dark undercurrent of that character and what motivates him to or has caused him to become a bully the relationship with his dad etc and it certainly feel like it is set up in episode one a little bit or they try to clue you into the possibility Mm -hmm. that maybe he is closeted but i'm not sure the whole season really does enough to get us to that point and make us go that tracks from episode one to episode eight it sort of just happens in episode eight rise is about to be sent away and you sort of it's that dramatic um, 
Like, I want to give you something to sort of shock you or surprise you just so you can feel sad. And I don't know. It just it didn't quite develop exa- in a way that really made that pay off well. And instead, I'm thinking about, oh, is this problematic? Is there a problem with the way this is executed? Is this saying what it thinks it's saying? And that's, that's yeah, it rarely does the show do that too. Everything else about the show generally when it comes mm. to sex is pretty um, progressive. And this one's a little bit less so. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Adam, though, maybe we should start by talking about Eric, who it sounds like Matt was an important character for you. Yeah. Um, are there particular elements of his story um, that really stood out to you that really you enjoyed or heartbreaking or maybe even um, you sort of felt a uh, connection to in some way? Right. Uh, I I think... Just the the fact that he was so, especially for the first four episodes and then near the end of the season, just like so like unwaveringly joyful, despite mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that everything is coming at him and everyone's coming at him. And there's a way for him to, him to be written as like completely depressed the whole season. And of course, he has his dark moments, his down moments. But I also like the friendship between him and Otis a lot because... If, you know, I went to a predominantly white school as well and like to have a straight white best friend is, you know, something that happened with me. And it was also in thinking about it, it's like, well, they were your best friend because they were great and a wonderful person. But like once you grow up and meet more people, maybe that's not the person you're choosing to be the closest to you. And so Mm -hmm. it almost seems like a high school time capsule a little bit, not to say that they won't stay in contact, but it's like we're both forced to be here we have this connection and we i don't have someone that's more like me to really relate to and it's so nice that we're meeting in the middle here but it also is like oh well there's this probably friendship time wise can only go so far and maybe that's not right but i i I, I mean, like. the show suggests exactly that in a lot of ways. Their mm-hmm. friendship seems to be based because they were started when they were very young. They're mm-hmm. talking about playing video games and stuff together, which we see them do maybe once in the show. It's based mm-hmm. in those like childhood things, and now they're growing up. Obviously, Otis is starting to you know bring put more of his attention into Maeve, and that means there's a rift between them in that. So this idea they will grow apart, um, but I agree their friendship is super sweet and. Yeah. Also love, they don't really, they don't, again, that's what the show does really well. It doesn't have to comment on the things that other shows might make a big deal of. It's like, oh, a gay man and a straight man can be friends. Who knew right. that sort of thing? And it just is. And like when they're dancing at the at the dance in episode seven, that's just a beautiful like reconnection moment. And you don't doubt it for a second. You believe every part of it. And it's, I think, super um, important to see that sort of represent- representation on screen. I think what you were saying about Eric's sort of sadness as well, or that he mm. sort of he's so joyful and just continues on. I think that in episode one, the sort of the most sad moment in there is when he's bullied by Adam, and then he's obviously down about it, and then he puts that smile on and sort of just goes about his day, and you're like, mm. boy, you are hiding some pain every day. Like you are this amazing, colorful, joyful person, but underneath that all, there is a lot of pain underneath the surface, and that. It is so yeah. It, it's such a compelling mm. character. And I also there. love though that the pain is not what defines him. I think it's absolutely the, not the choice to live a joyful life is because so often you know when you've got queer characters in a high school setting, there it it's they tell a story like it is the most painful life that you could lead. <laughs> um, you know, I think back to like when I first came out and you know 
parents being like, oh, I don't want you to have a hard life. And I was just like, well, stop making my life hard. It's like, you know, we want (laughs) gay teens to be happy. So it's okay to tell stories of gay people being happy. Um, I think it's more productive, in fact. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of times more truthful. Um, So I'm so glad that Eric is such a loving, lovable person who, while yes, things are hard, those hard things are not what define him, which is lovely. There's a lot of nuance also, I think, in the relationship between him and his dad. It would be easy to make his dad just super homophobic or um, really against his lifestyle. I think it's more that his dad just doesn't know how to approach Eric or help him in that regard. He, It's not what he is like, so therefore he's just confused about mm. the best way to... Obviously, he wants to protect him is a big part of it as well. Mm. Um, what do you think about the first, obviously, Eric being abandoned by Otis and then that attack that happens to him on the way so, home? Sorry, Brad. I want to go back to talking about Eric's dad just Sure, let's go shortly. back to that first. Yep. Um, I liked that it wasn't really about a religious thing. I think mm-hmm. he had so much fear around difference which has obviously been his experience growing up yeah as a black man in England um and, and an immigrant like mm-hmm. I really appreciate that perspective it was fear-based and probably like justifiable in a lot of ways thinking that his kids you know they're not going to be immigrants they're gonna you know have acclimatized to um this western culture and they're going to have an easier life and his fear was around that that wasn't going to be his Fun's, his son's path um, and worrying that his son was going to develop fear as well. I just I just thought it was a, a good perspective to have. Yeah, it's it was a protective instinct first and foremost, a paternal instinct in that that you is uh, should be a net positive, but obviously things aren't that simple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going on to yeah the attack that happens on the way home um, from the bus stop, and then. Then what I really want to talk about was more, because that was obviously sad for Eric. He sort of goes into beige Eric and he's no longer colourful and wearing things. And then he just, the, the apart, well, you have the church scene, which is great, but the real catalyst for him sort of turning it around is just meeting in a short interaction, another gay flamboyant, for lack of a better word, black man who seems to have his life together and is happy and successful. Um, I just loved... So the message there was how much representation matters, right? Like how much seeing yourself in the world or, you know, we would I would say usually on screen, we talk about it with TV and stuff, matters to people who are struggling with their identity or feeling different or whatever it might be in the world, constantly telling them that they shouldn't be or there's something wrong with them. And just to see someone like yourself in the world or on screen can make all the difference to make you feel like you belong. I just thought that was such a powerful thing that it never gets said. It's not an explicit um, conversation that's happened. It's just a moment that is had with Eric and this person he's never met before. I just loved, love, love that scene. Yeah, I mean, I certainly enjoyed the conversation between Eric and his dad about like, well, what kind of man do you want me to be? Mm -hmm. And the thing is like, you know, do you want me to be this kind of, overbearing, powerful, sometimes violent, toxic idea of what a man is. Can I be, you know, this this idea I have of a gay man? Um, but then, yeah, just kind of seeing 
someone to mm. aspire to be. Yeah, like you said, representation is so important and him having an example of the kind of man that he could be. Not that he has to be, but he certainly could be. Right. Because I don't think he'd, he'd seen that before because a lot of, mm. you know, straight or cisgendered, you know, people see it in their parents a little bit. It's like, oh, I'm going to end up and be like that. And then to be at home and not see it and to be at school and not see it. I feel like that little interaction was also one of my favorite moments. Um, and uh, I, I think it was a great catalyst and one that felt believable. And it like kind of reminded him that there's his life is going to go on and be happy. It doesn't have to be these like violent acts and traumas mm-hmm. that define him and like are just like his path going forward is going to be a series of that. Like that's not what's going to happen. There's a way that this all turns out and it's all positive and and in general, things are going to go forward and be, a, a, he's going to be able to live positively and like in a happy way. I think that was great. Loved it. Agreed. So we all love the Eric storyline. How do we feel about sort of our main, I suppose, romantic um, storyline through this, that of Otis and Maeve? Otis is a character that I just love the premise around this <laughs> character, though. They're sexually... Not repressed, I guess, but maybe repressed. Awkward um, teen whose mother is extremely, like, overt about sexuality because of profession. And then turning his weakness also into his strength as a sex therapist. That's just such a fun premise. I just think that's such a cool idea. Whoever came up with that, it's like, congratulations, you just came up with a brilliant idea for a TV show that you can just center a whole story around. It's so good. I think um, Asa Butterfield is really good in the show as well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that Otis has entirely intellectualized sex. Like, yeah. that's the only way that he can remove himself from. He's like, I don't participate in that culture, if you will. Um, but I've d- I've done the reading, uh, which I appreciate. Um, and I think as like a, a super sexually repressed teen, I I responded to it. I was like, yeah, no, like I didn't masturbate for a very long time I just was not interested I didn't want to know what was going on down there um yeah so I love that he 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 has done the reading and he can help people and that's a way for him to connect but also feel superior and removed yeah it's a great yeah plot I I thought it it was really believable the way that sometimes in scenes with his mom it was as if he was like 10 years old and he'd be having these huge temper tantrums Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. having a fit but then around his peers, like you said, he like kind of held himself into a different standard and like giving them this intellectual advice that like he, I guess, didn't have any business giving them. But it was often right and often helpful. But I think that is the kind of age and uh, that you are two different people a little bit around, depending if you're around your home life that you grew up with, you kind of leave, kind of revert to your youngest and like less uh, evolved self. And I thought it was very believable when he would uh, get in, have all these issues with his mom. And I also liked the fact that his mom wasn't perfect. And the fact that yeah. she had to finally come through and be like, you know what? I've put too much on you. It's been you and me for so long. But I feel like you're growing up and you're leaving me behind. And kind of realized that she had to kind of get her own life as well in the end. I, I just like their relationship a lot throughout. I did love that. I thought Jean was going to be kind of the ultimate adult that, you know, mm-hmm. Otis has to learn to be more like. But then as the season go goes on, we just see how dependent she is on having her son's attention and affection yeah. um, all of the time. Um, so I'm so glad that they chose to make her more complicated than just kind of this 
evolved woman. It, yeah, it was wonderful. It's not. It's certainly not the first time we've seen like a single parent, single child, like growing apart because of just you know being a teenager and becoming their own person. Sort of that sort of drama and tension before. But I do really like the way it is in this. I think what I really like is that while they're so different, they're also have so many similarities. Even mm-hmm. to the point where I realize, oh, they actually kind of look alike. They actually look like they could be part of the same family. But they've both sort of been messed up by Otis's dad. Uh, Jean's ex-husband mm. in that it's completely affected their relationships with themselves and with other people in completely different ways. Uh, Otis sort of is now equating sex to, for the destructive power it can have, which is something that Jean says. It's like sex can be wonderful, but can also be, you know, something that causes problems and pain as no, well. No, I believe she says it can destroy lives. <laughs> Correct, I right? I this last time. Sure. I was like, oh gosh, all right. Yeah, like, and you wonder why the kid has a complex, right? Um, <laughs> but at the same time, Jean has the same, well, not the same problem. Her problem is that she is sort of disconnecting and no longer wanting to form close relationships with the men that she brings into her life, except with her son, who she's sort of holding on to as the one piece of her previous family. Uh, I, I, the thing is, Jean is sometimes the biggest villain in this show. Every time she's snooping into Osa's bedroom, it's like, lady, find some freaking boundaries. What are you doing? Mm. And the thing I is, love- like, she clearly wants the conflict that that causes. Like, the yes. great example is when she washes the sheet after being told not to go in his room mm-hmm. because obviously he's going to know. And so she wants to have that conflict. She doesn't want to be the cool mom that just kind of doesn't engage and lets her son go off. She wants, even if it's a bad interaction, she just wants to continue. It's to attention seeking, right? Yeah. It's what, it's yeah. what people who are playing up do it's like they will cause a scene just for because they need the attention it's exactly what she's doing with Otis she's pulling his pigtails is what she's doing absolutely Matt you gonna when, say something oh yeah just when she crashed the party at Amy's house oh and my then got god in, and it was just like this is beyond like you have to talk to someone I realize you're a therapist <laughs> yourself but I just love that Adam who we've seen his father be like so outwardly horrible to him and I was like man Glad uh, my I don't have you as a parent. Like I thought my parents were controlling, and it's like, oof, that's not a good person to be uh, compared to parenting wise. It was so stressful to watch when she yeah. gets locked in. I was like, oh for yes. fuck's sake, mom, please go home. <laughs> Just go home. Yeah. He's gonna be fine. He's gonna be fine. Uh, what about Maeve as a character? How do we find Maeve? Yeah, I, I mean, I really liked her. I think we've seen this character plenty of times before, the misunderstood bad girl, the one mm. with a bad reputation. Um, and I liked that we do kind of – because it is a conversation we've had before, but I think it's an important one to have is how particularly in high school, although it echoes out for a long period of time, though I think the culture is changing, is how much sex and sexuality is weaponized mm. against – Mm-hmm. teen girls and women um, and, you know, quite often, you know, queer people as well in high school. Um, yeah, the I mean, I think we probably all have stories of people at school who were labelled, you know, the slut or the slag. Mm-hmm. Um, I look back at those times. I don't think I participated in calling them those words, but I certainly had an opinion mm-hmm. about those people. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm glad that people are seeing these portrayals now of like it's it's bullshit (laughs) it's fucking patriarchy it's bullshit um and those people no matter what whether they are doing those things or not aren't deserving um of that kind of treatment 
Right. I love when Maeve stood up for Ruby even when mm-hmm. that photo was going around and didn't take her money and was doing because it was like this person has been tormenting you every single episode. Every time they're on screen together, Ruby has something awful to say to Maeve. But it's just like at Maeve's core, she knows that what's happening to her is wrong. And it supersedes any sort of like dislike on the surface she has of this person because it's it's bigger than Ruby and, and both of them. And I, I, I felt like there were times where I felt like her performance maybe read a little flat to me. And that was not one of them. I felt like she was really I believed every second of it. Maybe coming back to you want to know what my criticism was uh, talking about like uh, moments that could have worked better or whatnot. I don't know if I've got anything specific that stands out, but I think you're onto something there when you talk about the performance sometimes being a little bit flat. I think it is part of the character. The character is Mm -hmm. so reserved that they're not going to show weakness um, if they can avoid it, basically. But yeah, part some of the times I was like, I really want to feel a bit more of what's happening to me or what she's feeling Mm -hmm. inside this moment. Um, Little sequences like that that could have gone a little bit further to make me really feel it. But the thing is, Maeve is so easy to root for. That underdog story of this super intelligent, capable woman who just, because of circumstances, doesn't have the advantages to get there. Um, It's very easy to like her. Did you root for her or did you ship her and Otis? And if so, why? Why not? I didn't. I mean, I did and Mm. I didn't. Um, I don't mind the romantic side of their relationship, but I just really enjoyed their friendship. I Mm -hmm. thought um, the episode where it's very funny to me that Otis thinks he's going on a date with Maeve, but really he's picking her up after her abortion. (laughs) Um, First of all, Amazing concept. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I enjoyed, you know, those conversations they were having with one another. And I was like, this is really nice to see the developing friendship there. Um, you know, I I prefer a story about a friendship that turns or, you know, mutual respect that turns to romantic love. So if, mm-hmm. you know, if it continues down that vein, I'm excited for that. Um, I'm really hoping it doesn't go down you know, Maeve being jealous um, and perhaps doing things that are kind of fucked up in order to get Otis's romantic attention. Mm. I hope um, their respect and love prevails over that stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm not opposed to it. I just, I think I prefer the friendship. Right. Uh, it sounds like, Matt, you've seen season two, so no spoilers here. Do you think that is likely? Because for me, that the way the season ends with her... You know, running over to Otis's place and seeing Otis with Ola. So, I think Maeve's next action would probably just be to go into her shell, to just disconnect, which seems to be her, you know, general modus operandi is just to, you know, pull herself away again. Is probably what would happen, I would think. I'd, I'd be surprised if she was going to be destructive, but who knows? Maybe you're right. right. The, the only time this season that I felt like she had a little bit of that is when she saw Allah in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Was like, just That's so you true. know, he's a virgin. And that, that was a little like, oh, just leave this. She's just at a new school with this guy. Leave her alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a very, very good point. She did do that. Good point. Uh, yeah. Did you root for Otis and Maeve? I feel like I did more the first time I watched it. I, I oh. maybe as I'm rewatching it, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. But there's so much around them that is also capturing my attention that I'm like, yeah, I could see. I, I think he very much respects her intelligence and gets her in so many ways. And I think their 
you know, will they, won't they romance has provide a lot of good storylines. Like I thought the scene where he told Jackson to like make a huge production out of asking her to be his girlfriend and that it actually working was like a very funny plot device because I was so ready for her to be so, you know, turned off by that. Uh, so as I'm continuing to watch it, who knows how many more times we're going to watch this season of television, but I'm <laughs> less invested in them romantically than I was sure. the first time I watched it. I don't think that's too surprising either. Often the like the core romances between our two leads, will they, won't they, ends up being the most boring part of the show. Mm-hmm. It's the part they invest in and sort of burn through earliest, and it's the mm-hmm. things that are going on around that become more interesting. So, like, I think Amy as a character is a really interesting one as well. Like, oh. her relationship with herself and with sex and the men in her life is really fun. I'd like to see more of that. The same with the character of Lily, etc., but I'll admit, I think I was relatively invested in Otis and Maeve, and probably probably just because on some level I recognize myself in Otis as the dorky white boy, you know, no good with girls, plays Smash Brothers and is sad. Like, that was me, to a <laughs> Um that, that was high school, right? So it's like hard not to feel that. I think that was um, your exact MySpace profile. Basically. Like Smash Bros and is sad. Yeah, that was that was in the tagline like, yeah. on MSN. That was my, uh, in yeah. the lyrics part at the top. That's what I used to identify myself as. Yeah, so there was a certain element to that. But at the same time, what I found surprising about the show I really loved is that I also was kind of rooting for Jackson a lot of this as well. There was very little wrong with Jackson. Normally, this is the guy you go, oh, we're rooting against him because he's the other guy. But- he was a sweetie most of the time. He was quite mm. cute. Maybe not really meant to be with Maeve, but until he didn't sort of comment on her dress when they met up before the dance because he was mm. more interested in you know his own drama and Maeve's brother and getting drunk. And then when he throws Otis under the bus, which you know maybe is fair about um, helping him to sort of get Maeve's attention, he wasn't really doing a lot wrong. And mm. I think his storyline, his home life storyline is quite compelling as well. Um, while not com- doesn't compare to what's happening with Maeve necessarily, is still I totally understand that the amount of pressure that's on him and how that's suffocating him. Right. I kind of felt when he was first popping up and getting all the information out of Otis, I did mm. wonder, like Otis did, like, are you just trying to win? Like, are you just competitive and you want to win or do you actually like this girl? But yep. then, like, we, the more we delved into his home life and where all that swimming stuff is coming from, it's like, oh, well, this kid, you know, he's had a tough go of it, too. So, yeah, I, I didn't feel uh, I was not anti-Jackson at the end of the first season, though. No. I think, like, with all those kind of fluctuations between... You know, he is a really lovely kid. Also, sometimes he does the wrong thing. Everything Mm -hmm. feels valid and Mm -hmm. motivated by truth or like what he perceives to be true or the right thing to do in the moment, Um, which is what I love about this show is like no one is just good or just bad or, yeah, like those kind of tropes that we see in high school dramas and stuff. There's more to it than that and which what – makes every episode, no matter if it's, you know, the A, B or C storyline, something really interesting to watch. I totally agree. And I think the only exception to that, I think, is like the headmaster, Mr. Groff, I think is just the Mm. most unequivocally piece of shit in the show. (laughs) And there's very few people otherwise who don't have at least some depth or layering to them that makes them feel like a real person that's got shit going on. And that's great writing, just straight up. That's a question I have. I, and you probably can't answer this because you've seen where it goes. But there was mm-hmm. one moment where um, Maeve's brother, 
is chatting to the headmaster and he says something about having like a brownie break or something, alluding to some kind of behaviour of the headmasters that perhaps wasn't favourable. And I'm just fascinated as to like what that was talking about. Or did I just miss something in this season? I wasn't sure whether he was off. Well, he wasn't offering him something in that, like a, a marijuana brownie or something like that sort of thing. Be weird if he had a pocket full of pills and marijuana brownies. So that's just messy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, Matt, do you have any insight on that? I don't know. I honestly don't. I can't even spoil it. I thought the same thing the last time just when we just watched it. I was like, what is that? I remember him saying a few scenes earlier saying something about like, oh, does this teacher or does this, I don't know if he was talking about him, like yeah. still a drinking problem. And I'm like, he was talking about what? the that's jazz the or the musician teacher. guy. Yeah. yeah, they know oh, he's a drunk. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I don't know. And it's, I don't think it comes up. In okay, two. good. <laughs> it makes me think that maybe a brownie break is just like some Britishism I'm not aware of. Like, yeah, probably, actually. Could be. Yeah. I mean, this is very little, but I also in that abortion episode, I just thought the girl who was like anti-abortion outside was so funny. <laughs> I just mm. really thought she was hilarious in her like one, like 15 minutes on screen. I... She just was so ridiculous. I've I've got a show for you. I've got a show for you to watch then, Matt. Uh, Last week, we reviewed a show. It's on Stan Australia. I don't know where you get it in the States. um, Called We Are Lady Parts. Mm. And that character, that actress, uh, her name is Anjana Vasan. She plays the lead character of Amina in that show. It's six episodes. They go for about 25 minutes each. It's about a British punk rock band, all women, all Muslim. Um... It's pretty good. I really liked it. Damask didn't love it, but no, I think but it's super fun. But she was great in it, though. She like, is excellent. Her comedic she's timing like, is amazing. Oh, she's so hilarious. Yeah. I just yeah, want to see more of her. I think you should check out We Are Lady Parts. You'd probably like it a lot. All right. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you guys have any side notes at all? I've got, I don't know. A tiny amount, Brod. I'm sorry. Um, I really enjoyed the line in the first episode of my auntie was eaten by wasps. I just thought that (laughs) kind of really set the tone for that character. (laughs) That was very good. Um, Obviously, the line in which Jean tells Otis that sex can destroy lives. Mm. I was like, not inaccurate, but also not great to tell your kid while you're reading a bedtime story. Um, Yeah. Yes, and also just the line, um, I can't remember what's her name, Amy, um, talking about her sexual experience or her performative um, sexual experiences uh, when talking to Otis. And she's like, yeah, I'm always fake. Which I, <laughs> Like her honesty, I, like I just like is so endearing to me. I really enjoy that character. But I think that's it from me, Brad. You can go. Uh, just some details that I liked. I loved, I think it's episode four or five um, when – Maeve and Otis have been in the pool together and then he's got this erection he can't get rid of. So he goes to the toilets and tries to masturbate. And the way that is shot mm. with keeping Otis in the foreground and having like this cubicle extend backwards as they move through it is such a cool camera trick. And then is used again in the final shot of the season as he's sort of being elevated off the bed. And just also um, Asa Butterfield's delivery of like, oh, fuck me, or whatever he says at the end. It's just so, like, <laughs> well-delivered. It's such a great little, like, moment to end the season off. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, are there... They talk about Adam having a penis that is, like, 
two Coke cans stacked on top of each other, right? Yeah. And then I believe when he goes to his locker, he's yeah, often got a Coke, Coke can, cans. and there are two Coke cans on top of each other. And like he's <laughs> always holding a can of Coke, or he's constantly, uh, consistently holding a can of Coke. I thought that was like a really good, just like visual, like cue they had going on. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a weird question that probably I'm just don't know anything about. Is it really common for British households to have their washer and dryer in the kitchen? Yeah. It is. Even in a house as big as theirs, because that's a big house. Like I don't know. I don't really hang out with rich English people, but it's pretty <laughs> common. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Jacob, uh, Jean's love interest by the end of the season, just came across like a Scandi Ben Mendelsohn. Do you know who Ben Mendelsohn is, Matt? I've heard his name. He's an Australian know. actor. He like does a lot of like plays a little uh, of like mean gangster types. He was um, in Rogue One, that Star Wars film. He was like the main bad guy in that. Anyway, very much just a Scandi Ben Middleson. Here's a question. Why would you host the school dance on a school night? They all went to school the next day. Whose scheduling idea was that? Is that oh, a common actually, thing? Actually, that is quite common. So the problem with if you do it on a Friday or a Saturday is that kids then have after parties afterwards right. and get drunk. But if you do it during the week, then they're more likely to go home at an appropriate hour and they have school the next day. So they can't get too fucked up. Is this is this true, Matt? Is this what happens? I don't, know that be the case. I don't know that that... I feel like I did have my prom and stuff on Fridays and Saturdays, but I've heard of that as a thing that people would do. Hmm. So Just annoying. Gene... <laughs> Gillian Anderson is just ridiculous. I'm talking like just to look at in this show. Like mm. she is unbelievable. The fact that she's into the Princess Bride, like just raises her to a whole other level. Like this woman is perfection. I'm pretty But sure. who is it is my question. <laughs> I wasn't until I found out. I only watched that movie a couple of years ago. I had no idea. Yeah, but you're a loser. I don't think God. I've seen it. Oh, oh you're you a loser too, Matt. What's <laughs> no, going on? I'm sorry. What's going on, people? Hey, Matt. No, I get it. For the longest time, I thought it's called The Princess Bride. It, that doesn't sound like a title that interests me. It is an excellent, like, fantasy comedy film. Is really, Fred really, Savage really good. in it? He am I is. Something else? Okay. He he is. He sort of is like the the bookends or like the the story device they're telling. Is his mm. grandpa was telling him a story about the Princess Bride. So it's like they cut away to him commenting on the story. Um, oh. But it's not really about him, if that makes sense. Um, but between Gillian Anderson and Hannah Waddingham of um, Ted Lasso. There are some mm. very yummy mummies in this show. Like Indeed. really yummy mummies. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> some of my favorite lines. She touched my eyebrows and now I have an erection. <laughs> yeah, that was beautifully like that. Gene, you have to stop breaking things when you want to have sex. Like a like a like an animal, like a pet <laughs> that like tries to like put like the cat pushes the glass off the table to get your attention. Um, and then feel sad and play Smash Brothers. Yeah, I just felt that in my in my soul. Least favorite and favorite episode. Oh, sorry, Matt. I thought of one note that Go I Go for to it, add. please. Please but jump in. For some reason, the only thing I know about Asa Butterfield is that he was almost Spider-Man. And so I was the whole time watching Ooh. it oh. thinking, what if Tom Holland was this character and he was Spider-Man? Like in some sliding doors world, that could be. I could say that. I could say I'd probably, do you think Tom, ha- Tom Holland's a little bit too conventionally handsome to play Otis. Like, Ace of just looks a little bit weenier, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think probably. I don't know how much that was pre or post now I'm Spider-Man and have to work out all the time. But True, uh, good point. point. Mm. What was your least favorite episode, Matt? My least favorite episode was um, episode five. 
I found it too tense. I feel like my, both my answers are literally like, Eric was sad. I didn't like it. Eric was happy. I liked him. But I feel like the trauma hate crime storyline was really just like tough to watch. And I realize it still happens. It's still necessary to show this kind of thing. But like once you've connected with this character so much, it's hard to see him go through that. Mm. I also thought that Maeve ditching Jackson's family was too intense. It's like, what are they going to do at that table? They're all waiting for you. <laughs> I just <laughs> didn't like that. I felt that. that as well. I'm like, how embarrassing. No. I know. It's just yeah. too embarrassing. When Otis was shoplifting. Mm. Uh, and I realized that obviously there has to be some conflict between Otis and Eric. But I felt like Otis was so gravely in the wrong that it like mm. wasn't fun. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, I can see both sides of this. It was just like, well, you kind of ditched him on his birthday and he got in the hate crime happened to him while he was out alone. It's just like, yeah, I have I can't really root for Otis yeah, in this situation. There's no at apology all. card for that no. situation. I'm sorry you no. got hate crimed because I abandoned you. Like that's just right. And then they see each other and he's like, talks about Maeve and being with her. And he's like, oh, what's wrong with your face? It's like, oh, well, I just experienced a hate crime. Thanks for asking. It was, that was upsetting to me. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Maybe uh, you guys disagree with this as a little bit, but part of the problem was also that it's the whole idea of like, I understand what Maeve is trying to do in that she sees herself in, um, what's the character's name? Ruby. Uh, Ruby, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. That situation, she empathizes, she wants to look after her because she doesn't want that to happen to other women like it happened to herself. However, is it really appropriate that that is their problem to fix at that point? One thing they kept bringing up was like, why, and Otis does this, is why doesn't she go to the police? And I get what Maeve's saying, but also this is a fucking crime. Tell the police. Like, I don't know that it's really realistic that Otis or that Maeve should convince Otis that this was his thing to fix right now, especially when he has really important commitments. Um, You wouldn't go to the police. You would not go to the police because like, what is she going to tell her parents that she's sending vagina pics to boys? Like I could. Yeah, I get get that. I really do. I really do. And it's, that's but I, for whatever reason, I just think it's it's hard to to. I think you're exactly right, Matt. It's hard to justify how Otis just drops the ball so much with right. Eric in that moment. Yeah. Like it, it's like you don't want to say it's not his problem. Obviously, people should be trying to help this girl, but it's just not his problem right now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it really uh, is. Like obviously, it demonstrates it is that because he's says to Maeve, he's like, you know, I, I should be with my friend. That's like, this is what I'm doing. Then ultimately walks off with her, which is, mm-hmm. I think, probably pretty accurate to when you've got that first really intense crush that That's is sure. a real possibility. You literally, you act like a fucking asshole. I think, you know, probably <laughs> most of us did. Um, so that, I understand that, but it is frustrating to watch as a viewer. Yeah. Right. It's so clearly wrong. Yeah. What about you, Damas? What was your least favorite episode? Um, I'm going to go with episode seven. Um, the dance episode, okay. The dance episode, yes. I I think um, this show, in this episode, is a real teen, like American teen drama, which I know like that's clearly what they're doing in this episode. Um, but I didn't really love it. Like the kind of speech that's made, made me feel awkward as a human. Um <laughs> <laughs> speech that sorry that Otis, that made, Otis makes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, to the guy hanging from the moon yeah um I, I didn't love that 
It um, pushes the bounds of what's realistic in terms of the drama that should be happening in this scene. The fact that the teachers are just letting Otis do this, like they're not even trying to get a ladder or something to help this kid out. Like <laughs> everyone just stops net. and goes, yeah. oh yeah, let the 16-year-old handle this. That's fine. He'll do it. He's right. Yeah. So little things like that that make me go, oh, I'm so invested in the reality of these characters' yeah. lives. that so when something like that happens, I'm like, oh, I wish like the solution wasn't quite as simple. Um, the brother selling drugs for me, I think, similar to what Matt was saying, was just stressing me out because I'm like, well, this is going to affect Maeve. Mm-hmm. I don't want this to happen. This guy's a fucking dickhead. I wish he wasn't here. So I was just annoyed by that character. Um, and also they have a moment in this episode doing one of the things that I fucking hate, and I think you hate when this happens too, Brad. Oh, I was going to mention this. people don't explain things yes, properly yes. and so that is the cause of the conflict. Yes. If Otis had just said, oh, well, here's what happened between me and Jackson and Maeve can still be angry about it but at least she knows what's going on and it's not kind of this misunderstanding or miscommunication. I really fucking hate when that's used for conflict. I so that, almost, that's why. I almost brought that up in my spoiler-free review. Like how much I hate that trope, <laughs> that crutch that happens in so many specifically like rom com type relationship dramas and comedies and it's like used once again here it's like we didn't need to do that guys it could have been a better way around this um but yeah totally agree with you on that i'm gonna say also it's just interesting though what you're talking about how it's a very american like high school episode that is this show does have a really weird dual identity where it's british but it's very american high school at the same time it doesn't necessarily Mm. feel authentically british it it's sort of like it straddles between about five different decades worth of like what what time period does this exist in it's exists somewhere it's like transnational in, hybrid yeah. yeah in the middle somewhere what's the atlantic between the <laughs> the us and the uk it's like somewhere in the middle there i'm not sure uh my least favorite episode is episode two i think it was just a big step down from the pilot i think the pilot is really really strong um i think it was trying to do that thing that sometimes second episodes do. Well, the second episode always has the task of proving why you're a TV show, right? How this becomes uh, uh, something you return back to every episode. And I don't think it's a necessarily particularly strong second episode. I I don't love the Maeve pregnancy stuff. Um, mm. I think it's better in the next episode. The way it's introduced here, I didn't necessarily think was all that compelling from a Drake point of view. It never gets brought up again with any of the Jackson stuff, which was interesting which is fine. It doesn't have to, but it feels like drama left on the table to some degree. Um, I also think they're trying to like recalibrate things. I don't know. Did, did anyone get the sense that we're trying to reestablish whether Maeve was cool or not in that episode? Like in the first I, episode, go I don't on, know if this Matt. is helpful or hurtful, but I don't remember the second episode. Like I'm trying to there think you go. what even It was the happened. party episode. It was the party. Oh, um, okay, okay. There you go. There you go. The... <laughs> That says it all, though. If you come away from that and that didn't feel memorable to you, it's because the show didn't do enough. Again, it didn't do enough to give itself an identity in that episode. The mm-hmm. pilot is great, and the second episode wasn't a great follow up, if that makes sense. And that's why it's my least favorite episode. Uh, what's your favorite episode, Matt? Well, Matsu makes some enemies, but my favorite episode was episode seven. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead to me. Get out of here. I know. I'll just sign off now. Um, I <laughs> I mean, I, I love that it. it's like it's just like a basic US feeling high school prom. And I was like, yeah, I love it. I love every second. I thought that speech was heartwarming. I, you know, I 
I just, I really liked, especially the Eric storyline. This is when yeah. he kind of sees mm. that guy in the car and goes to the That is the, the prom. strongest element of the episode yes. by far. Yeah. The, the conversation he has with his dad is really good. Because again, I feel like an interesting thing about the dad is that when he's first telling Eric to do this or do that or like don't show his mom, he could be homophobic. It could just mm. be like, oh, I'm a homophobe and like that's that. And so as it kind of has unraveled and it's just about like, oh, you're just fearful of how I'm going to live in the world. It just, it made me like him a lot. I liked that when he yelled and it kind of was different than his normal kind of passive self. I liked that a lot. I also felt like the a la uh, Otis, Jackson, Maeve, situation being kind of awkward and all of them together felt real mm-hmm. um i again didn't love how mave kind of told Allah like oh he's a virgin and all of that but it felt like okay these are the kind of stakes that i would like to see on a high school drama show and uh, yeah. not like what was happening a few episodes i don't want to see something that really gets me so down and this felt just like hijinks in a way that i was not bothered by it Mm. Um, it was definitely heightened. It definitely d- gets away from the realism of the show that it's kind of built to. But I was uh, very invested, and it didn't. And I feel like the finales always have to do so much to like tie up loose ends that it's yes. like so much is put into putting buttons on or getting you excited to a possible season two that the episodes are always. It's there's just so much to do there. Mm. Penultimate episodes are often the best episodes of a season, I find. It's where the drama really peaks so that the finale can deal with that, but also, as you said, slide into the next season. Right. And so Game of Thrones was famous for that. Its episodes eight or nines were always like really, really strong in a season. That's that's a very common thing. I agree with that. Mm. I One thing that I think helps save that Maeve part that you're talking about where Maeve is, you know, saying to Ola about how um, uh, Otis is a virgin is just that she obviously a moment afterwards isn't actually super impressed with herself as well. Mm. Like she did it and it was like, it came from a, uh, a place of insecurity. And then right. as soon as she's done with it, she walks away and you can see that she's like, that was a shitty thing to do. I shouldn't have done that. Mm. And that helps, you know, that she wasn't proud of herself just a little bit to take the yeah. edge off. But I agree That's with you. Cool. The, the Eric stuff in that episode in particular is mm. extremely, extremely good. And he looked so beautiful. Oh, that outfit's yeah. amazing. That outfit is so stunning. Yeah. Mm. Damask, what was your favorite episode? Ooh, um, I'm going to go with episode three. So that's the one with the abortion clinic. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, I just love the concept that Otis thinks he's going on a date um, and he arrives at the abortion clinic and, you know, those people are sitting out the front and they're like, you know, is someone, you know, getting an abortion? He's like, no, I'm just picking someone up. Like, he's just so oblivious because he really thinks it's finally happening. Um, I really liked that. Um, and I also think that episode does a lot of work to kind of really cementing their, at that point, friendship, but the beginnings of their relationship. I thought it was a really important episode for that. We also have Lily and Eric hanging out. Yes. Which is kind of fun. like... Reminds me of when you find your people in high school. Like, if you're a little weird, finding the weirdness in other people. Um, And I just loved the character of Lily. So, I was really glad to kind of meet her and hang out. Um, How she's kind of not ashamed of how she expresses her sexuality. I think that actress is fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. She actually reminds me of like a young Lauren Lapkus or something. Um, Yeah, so I loved that. I thought it was just a simple episode. It was funny. I enjoyed spending time 
because it wasn't huge dramatic moments really, but I enjoyed spending time with the kind of the pairings that we got, these mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. pairings. Um, yeah, so I just had a really good time all the way through, even though it was an episode about abortion. You know, I was just like, yeah, this is, it's a big thing, but oh, I also love the Mexican wave bit when they're in the abortion clinic, this kind of older woman that's like helping certain people through it, being like, mm-hmm. It's it's not that big of a deal or it doesn't have to be, but also it, it's still kind of emotionally taxing, the kind of complexities around that. I enjoyed, yeah. This is interesting. We've all given different favourite and least favourite episodes. My favourite episode is episode four. I think it's sort of the episode where I really started to fall for the show in some way. It's like its character dynamics and the chemistry between the uh, characters is working again. It was a very Otis-centric episode with the stuff that was happening with Maeve and then... I think it's that them in the pool at that stage. I can't remember. And the thing has that wank in the bathroom scene, which is mm-hmm. very, very well done. I think all the Jackson Jackson stuff that leads to the big gesture. I just think the the complications in the drama are really fun. If you if mm-hmm. you care about Otis and Maeve enough, you're enjoying what's going on here. Um, yeah, I just think it was a very it was getting complicated in a very fun way and it's where i was like oh cool i get this show i get the level it's at i'm having a really good time with it not the most like compelling or dramatic episode not like episode seven or episode five any of those ones but um just a really really good time i thought and yeah shows the the fun potential of the show now matt i can't ask you this question again Mm. because you've already seen season two and damascus (laughs) you haven't no i haven't this is my first time watching season one and i watched it all in a day do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns for the second season? Um, so I have concerns because obviously the headmaster um, says to Jackson to pretty much forget about May that he's going to fuck her over. Um, so that's my concern. My hope is that the English teacher um, that we see kind of recognize Maeve's intelligence and potential that she will go to bat for Maeve because she has hinted to the headmaster that she knows that Adam cheated and that mm. that needs to be addressed. Um, and the headmaster says, oh, we'll talk about it later. So I'm hoping perhaps that might be Maeve's one saving grace is this teacher who can help. Um, but beyond that, I assume the Otis and Maeve thing will progress. Um, yeah. i be interested to see where the Ola relationship goes. I think mm-hmm. she's too evolved and cool for Otis, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I think he's batting way above his, yeah, his average. Um, You're saying she's more of a lioness than a house cat? Yeah, she is not a house <laughs> cat at all. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think that's going to be a lasting relationship. But, yeah, I'm not sure beyond that. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where the Maeve stuff goes. I think it's definitely going to continue to be Maeve and Otis focused. I am interested in what they're going to do with Adam. He's being sent to a military academy. Mm. Um, it feels like they've just got to a more interesting place in this story where he can be- become a more active participant in the story. Often he felt like sort of a passenger things were happening to him and around him until the end of the season. So I hope they find something good to do there. I'm interested to see where they go with Eric this season. Um, as he sort of seems to have found himself the other... The, who's the the other guy in the in the main like popular group who's also gay? Seems to have recognised him sort of for the first time and complimented him on his outfit. Interesting to see if there's anything that develops there. No idea really. Matt, without spoiling anything, yes. How, what are your general feelings on season two compared to season one? Do you remember if you enjoy it more, less, about the same? 
I think I I maybe enjoy it about the same. Okay, um, that's good. I think it is exciting in rewatching the first season to see people that I'm like, oh. A, a, a whole thing is going to happen to this person that I did not pay much attention to and didn't have a much to do the first season. They like, cool. th- there are people that have whole arcs that you see in the first season and some that you haven't even seen yet. And it's, it's yeah, there, there's a lot of cool progress and uh, people have a lot more layers than is always shown in season one. That's oh. excellent. That's exciting stuff to hear the, 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 diving into other characters and growing the cast and stories. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. All right. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. Matt, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We really appreciate having you on. Um, where can people find you? Oh, uh, people can find me at Matt Palmer Music on social media and at Two Gay Mats TWO on social media and on YouTube and and your podcatcher and wherever. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I'm glad you guys did not hate it. No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No, it's amazing. Uh, I know you wanted to come on and talk about happy endings. Um, that was always going to be a complicated one, unfortunately. Yes. With the I, I things, said but- no to happy endings because I fucking love happy endings. But I just knew the episode would just be us being like, and what about this joke? And what about, like, I don't know how productive <laughs> the conversation it's would true. be. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm happy to talk about hunti- uh, uh, sorry, happy endings any anytime. Anytime. I, I just, I really hope they bring it back somehow. I feel like it's clearly not going to happen because people have been no. wanting it for so long. But, man, oh, man. It needed more. It needed more time. That's the problem. I feel like we want it too much that the universe yeah. is like, no. I know. I need not to let go Not on this timeline. Exactly. <laughs> the fear is also, though, when you want something that much, that if it comes back, it's just not going to be any good. And ah, that breaks your heart when that happens. Yeah, you it's don't like, want I an wish... arrested development situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. That's some weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That was weird, yeah. <laughs> you can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Masky Moo, M A S K Y M O. Next episode, we'll be back with an off topic, hot topic episode. Then again, the following week to discuss Loki season one, which I cannot wait to talk about. I'm so have you excited. Watching- have you been watching Loki, Matt? Are you into the Marvel stuff at all? Or? No, I had no Marvel. I'm not a Marvel person. But I, I hope I hope it's great. <laughs> so far, so good. I'll put it that way. With two episodes to go. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.